Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Welcome to New Life Church. If you have joined us for the first time, we live stream our services on a Friday here in the Gulf. And thank you for joining us and welcome to all of our members who have taken the time to uh, be with us, even though we're not there together physically, um, through the live stream and in time and space we are together. So we are grateful that we can worship together this morning. Over the last few weeks, we have been doing a mini-series on the topic of elder-led congregationalism. Last week, we looked again at Matthew chapter 16, and we examined what Jesus meant when he talked about the rock upon which he will build his church. We looked at the gates of hell, and we looked at the keys of the kingdom, all mentioned there in Matthew chapter 16. And we saw in Matthew 16 that Jesus gave the the keys of the kingdom to Peter and the apostles upon which he would build his church. And then in Matthew chapter 18, two, two chapters later, we see that Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom to the church, to the gathered church. And with that authority comes responsibility. And today we continue in our series looking at Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles... I would encourage you to take your Bibles, even though the Scripture would be on the screen. It's always good to have your own Bibles and to um, take your notes in your Bibles. Ephesians 4, we'll be reading from verse 11 to verse 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to verse 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine." by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Please pray with me before we study the word together as we ask for the Lord's blessings. Father, we come to you this morning again so grateful that we can worship you together, Lord. We look forward to the day where we will be together physically, but we thank you that in spirit we can be together today studying your word. We pray for your spirit's help to teach us Thank you that he is our teacher. Thank you for your word which is inspired. And we pray, Lord, please may may we apply the scriptures to our lives and to our corporate worship as well together as a church. And that you'll continue to grow us as a church as we look at this passage. So we need your help as we tackle this passage, Lord. We pray for wisdom. We pray for clarity and understanding. And we pray, Lord, that you would be magnified in what I say and teach here this morning. So please, I pray for your help, and we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So many of you know that in February we traveled to South Africa and we got Ezra settled in at a boarding school in Johannesburg. And we had to buy him a new uniform and we had to buy new clothes for the, the winter season there in South Africa. And we shopped. We shopped until I literally dropped. But um, during all of this shopping, I noticed that um, Ezra was wearing clothes very similar to the size of the clothes that I am wearing. He was wearing shoes. He was fitting on shoes that are exactly the same size as me. Um, in fact, before we left, I um, got out some jackets and jerseys that I'd left in my cupboard in my, in my mother's house, and I gave them to Ezra to wear. Um, I used to wear these when I was younger and when I was a few kilograms lighter. Um, but it occurred to me that our little boy had grown up, that our little boy had grown up. And it seemed like yesterday that we were changing his nappy and we were buying onesies for him to, to wear. Um, at times it, it was very difficult to see this grown man in front of us. But after a few shared tears between um, Kerry and I, we realized that this is what parenting is all about. Raising our children so that they will grow up and become mature, godly, responsible adults. And we pray as parents that we have done enough for Israel to put him on that trajectory. But this is the picture that we have here in front of us in Ephesians chapter 4 about the church maturing and the church growing up. And really the whole goal for the church is to grow up in the fullness of Christ. These are words that have come directly from our passage this morning. And that's what congregational church government is trying to do. Those of you who are new, um, we are considering a, a slight shift in our church governance uh, we are an, an elder-led church at the moment, but we are moving towards an elder-led congregational church government where the church will take responsibility and understand the authority that we have been given and that we would grow and mature in our walk with the Lord. But I want to give you a definition um, of elder-led congregationalism. I want to read that to you this morning. And for us to see that, there is a slide, I'm sure, somewhere. There we go. Elder-led congregationalism is that the entire church body has the final authority under God's word in matters of doctrine and discipline. So doctrine, by implication, is choosing leaders. And that's, that's what we already do as a church. We together vote on the, um, the elders of the church and discipline. So by implication, that is choosing members. And that's what we um, are working towards. We don't do that at the moment, but we are halfway there or even more than halfway there. And we want to shift to this definition fully where the entire church body has the final authority under God's word in matters of doctrine and discipline. Um, and what we saw last week in Matthew chapter 16 or sorry, rather in chapter 18, is Jesus authorizes the congregation 
to govern itself. Jesus authorizes the congregation to govern itself. And we saw that when Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to the church. And the reason he's done that is so that we can judge, so that we can discern whether or not an individual's profession of faith is credible, whether or not it is genuine. So every member has a responsibility to, to encourage, to admonish every other member in the church, and to endure faithfully. That is our responsibility as, as a church. But what we see here in Ephesians 4 is that Jesus also empowers the church to grow itself. So we've looked at governing itself. Now we're looking at the church growing itself. And what we see here is that the whole congregation is responsible, not just for governing its membership, but also growing with one another. So let's look at this text a little deeper this morning about the growth of the church and, and what it looks like and, and how the church is involved in its own growth and how this happens. And of course, how this relates to congregationalism. So my first point this morning is God-given gifts. God-given gifts, which we see in verse 11 and verse 12. Let me read those for you. And he, talking about Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So I want you to notice here in these, in these two verses that Paul is... Paul is the writer. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and teaching them about congregational church government. But Paul is emphasizing here in these verses the gifts that Jesus has given the church. His emphasis here is not on specific um, qualities or abilities that the individuals have. Um, they are, those are mentioned in, in other places, in other passages. But he's talking specifically, the emphasis here, on people, on people who have been given to the church. He's talking about godly, gifted, devoted men who have been given to the church for the well-being of the church. Now, God has given some of us um, the gift of helping. God has given to some of us the gift of serving. God has given to some of us the gift of of teaching. God has given to some of us different gifts and qualities and abilities. And all of these is not to puff ourselves up or to make a, a name for ourselves, but to grow the church and to grow the church. But here in our list, in chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, we have the emphasis upon the people that God has given to the church. So look there with me in verse 11. The first group of people that are mentioned is the Sorry, are the, are the apostles, okay? I'm getting epistles mixed up here. The first group of people mentioned are the apostles. So who are the apostles? Who are the apostles? Some people say apostles still exist today. But the apostles here we read about in the Bible, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They had seen the resurrection of Jesus for themselves. And they were commissioned directly by Jesus to go. They were sent out. So the Lord gave them the ability to perform miracles, really as an authentication of their apostleship. And these were the 12 men that we read about in the Scriptures. 
11 of whom became the foundation of the church. One other was elected in, in Acts chapter 1 along with Paul. So Paul was personally called by Jesus, and he was part of these apostles. And these apostles, they became the foundation of the church in which the Lord Jesus Christ was the cornerstone, which we'll look a little further um, later on. Many of these apostles, they were inspired to write the authoritative writings which constitute the bulk of our New Testament letters. And because their role and their qualifications were unique to them, I believe that this apostleship is not carried on into the future. I don't believe that there are apostles today. Personally, there are no legitimate successors. That is my, that is my belief today. But look at the prophets that are mentioned there. The prophets were people who had received a direct word from God. These were godly men who studied the scriptures, who loved the Lord, who the Lord spoke to so that they could relay the message to the rest of the people of God. Normally in the Old Testament, when a, a, when a, when a prophet spoke, he would say, Thus saith the Lord. That are, those are very weighty words to, to speak. You're not speaking your words. You are speaking what the, the Lord has said. Prophets proclaim the word of God to, to God's people. Um, and often the, the Lord would reveal to the prophet something in the, in the future. And they would foretell. Um, so we see in Ephesians chapter 2, it's interesting that the word prophets and apostles are brought together. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, let me read you those, uh, the scripture. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Notice there, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So here are the people that we're talking about that are mentioned in here Ephesians chapter 4 that the Lord is using to build on the foundation of the church. The next list of people mentioned in um, chapter, uh, verse 11 are the evangelists. Are the evangelists. So who are the evangelists? So the apostles and prophets gave us the word by direct revelation, but the evangelists would proclaim the word as it relates to people's need for salvation. So they were the preachers. Um, today, I suppose you could say that they were also missionaries. They would spread the gospel geographically. They would go across um, different, to do to different places, to different countries, to spread the word, to preach the gospel to see men and women and, and boys and girls brought to faith in Jesus Christ and to see churches established, churches pl planted. The next group of people we see in verse 11 are the shepherds and the teachers. Um, the shepherds and the teachers are those who shepherd and teach the people of God, those who pastor the people of God. But look at verse 12 there, notice how Paul draws our attention to what the gifts are supposed to do. The work that they are supposed to accomplish in the church is the equipping of the saints, 
to serve and to strengthen the body. The word equip there is used in verse 12. And the word equip has the idea of making someone adequate, making someone sufficient for something, training them. So the idea is that the pastor teachers are to teach the word to help the rest of the body become adequate, to help the rest of the body become prepared so that they may serve the Lord in accordance with their, with their gifts. And we do this here at New Life Church through the preaching of the word on Thursday nights at our Bible study fellowships. We do that here on Friday mornings when we preach through the, the scriptures. And we also do it through other various Bible studies that happen in groups or, or in home groups. And also we seek to equip the, the saints through one-on-one -on -one discipleship, through one-on-one -on -one contact, even over counseling or a cup of coffee or a meal, equipping them with the Word of God, being intentional. So can I just add here for a moment here, by way of application, you know, it becomes very difficult for the, the pastors and the teachers of the church to perform this task when, when folk are, are not attending these meetings, when folk are not part of these meetings to learn from the Word of God. It makes, these, um, makes the job much harder when they don't make use of these opportunities to be equipped. But that is why the Lord has given us these gifted people to equip us. And that's what we want to be equipped. That is the goal, isn't it? Equipped so that we can use the gifts God has given us effectively for the, the glory of our Savior and for the growth of the church. So, with all of this said and done, this raises an interesting question on the subject of congregationalism. It seems that these gifted people have authority in the church. And last week we looked at the church having the authority so who has the authority? Is it the, the, the leaders? Is it the elders? Or is it the church? I hope you, you came up with that question all by yourself. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, the scriptures say, Let the elders who rule, notice it, elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Elders rule well, okay? Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So we have scriptures that talk about elders ruling, and we have scriptures that talk about the church having the authority. So who has the authority? Is it the congregation or is it the elders? Well, I think the answer is here in our passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go back to verse 12 here. I think it's very simple to understand here. It tells us in verse 12, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So we see the picture here. The, the leaders are using their authority. Yes, the leaders have their authority. And that's why we call it elder-led congregationalism, the elders lead, they use their authority to do what? To equip the church. To equip the church. And then the church 
is using their authority, because now they have been equipped, they're using their authority to build the congregation up. The church uses its authority to build the church up. So each uses their authority for the same thing, to build the church up. The congregation, as well as the, the elders, each have responsibility and activity in this equipping, in this building up. Responsibility and activity. And the work of the elder is really to, to pour ourselves into, into you, the church, so that you can do the work that only you can do. I'm not saying we don't have to do ministry. Yes, we can, but we're only one person we're, or, or four people as elders. But we pour our lives into you that only you can do and that only God intends you to do. So the Lord intends you to serve the congregation, to serve one another, to, to serve the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the pastors teach, and the pastor teachers are to pour ourselves into you so that you can do the work that God wants you to do. This is what congregational government means. This is what congregational government means. As we're looking here in Ephesians chapter 4, we care for one another and we build one another up until we reach Christ-like maturity. Let me share an illustration that might help pull this together. There was a well-known American football coach who was once asked, how has the game of football contributed to the health and the fitness of America? Well, the coach replied very quickly by saying, nothing. And why not, the startled interviewer asked. Well, said the coach, the way I see it, you have 22 men on the field desperately needing a rest, and you have 40,000 people in the stands desperately needing some exercise. And the Lord intends the church to be exercising their gifts. The Lord intends the church to mature, to grow up, so that they can build up the church and serve one another, help each other to grow in Christ-likeness so we can be effective witnesses for our Lord Jesus Christ in the world. But sometimes it's not unusual to have a small group of diligent workers struggling down on the field while others on the, of the congregation are acting like spectators just sitting on the sidelines eating hot dogs and, and popcorn. But one of the blessings in any congregation, in many of the churches that I've been to, is to see the church working with the gifts that they have been given. The blessing in the Christian church is seeing people who've been, who've been gifted and serving humbly in the life of the congregation. It is, it is always a blessing. So the whole gifting of the church is designed to, to equip the church to be what God has called the church to be. It's not so that we can, have, so, so not so we can sit back in our, in our chairs and we can just watch it from a, a distance or so that we can employ somebody else to do the ministry for us. It's so that we as the church can be equipped to do the work that God wants us to do. We each have unique gifts. We each have unique abilities. We each have unique opportunities. 
And we need to fulfill this work the Lord has given to us. And that's what it means when we talk about every member ministry in the church, where the whole church is working together. Every member is not called to do the ministry of the elders, but every member is called to serve. And that leads to my second point. What is the goal of this growth? What is the goal of this equipping? We see that in verse 13 and in verse 14. But look at the end of verse 12. This emphasis on the building up of the body because the teaching of the pastors is not only to equip the congregation for service, but to build the congregation up. And Paul really fleshes that out now in verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, he's told us not only about the work that the, the gifts are to do, here he's telling us what the goal of Christ giving us those gifts are for. Look at verse 13 carefully. We see the word, the faith, mentioned there. Now, this is not talking about our personal faith that we receive when we call upon the name of the Lord and we repent of our sins. This is talking about the Christian faith. It's talking about the doctrine, our, our faith as, as, as a, in Christianity. And, of course, there are so many different doctrines around, aren't there? But the faith that we're talking about is, is the faith that the, the church is built upon, the gospel faith, the gospel church. And whatever differences we have, there is always a core shared faith that brings about a, a sense of, of unity and, and an expression of unity in the congregation because it is based on the gospel. We let the, the minors be minors and we major on the majors, isn't it? Our faith and this unity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 says the following, there is one body and one spirit, just as we were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So the faith mentioned here in verse 5 refers to what I'm talking about here in verse 12, the essential truths of the, the Christian life, the Christian faith that is centered on the gospel. And Paul mentioned this faith in verse 13 again, and he's referring to this unity that comes from the, 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 the genuine true doctrines of the, of the Bible, the Christian doctrines. And we don't know these doctrines until we are taught them, isn't it? And that's why we need to be taught. That's why we need to be equipped so that we can understand these teachings. Doctrine is just a, really a fancy word for teachings. And the more that we understand the Word of God, the closer our experience of unity with others that know the Word of God as well. In India, I was invited many times to pastors' homes for fellowship and for food as they got to know me and I, as I got to know them, and I had many wonderful experiences. But I remember a terrible experience that I had when one so-called pastor invited me to his home for lunch. I didn't know him very well, but when he started speaking, it became clear to me that we were not united in doctrinal unity at all. 
He was a disciple of William Branham, who doesn't believe in the Trinity, and who teaches the doctrine of the, the serpent seed, which says that the fall of man happened because the serpent mated with Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the offspring of that union was Cain. It was weird. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> and all I wanted to do was to, to leave his house and run as far and as fast as I could. There was no unity at all in that meeting. There was no unity in our faith. And it was, it was a horrible experience. But the unity that we have is because of the, the doctrines of the Bible, the, the Christian doctrines the, that are centered on the gospel. And the more we learn these truths, the more we find unity with, with other believers and other members who are learning the same truths as we grow in our Christian faith. Look at verse 14 there. Look at verse 14. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Here verse 14 is really contrasting with the picture that we have in verse 13. Verse 13 is talking about maturity and it's talking about the unity of the faith it's talking about the, the knowledge of the Son of God. Talking about mature manhood. These are words from verse 13. Um, fullness of, of, of Christ. But then you get to verse 14. And we see the words children. We see the word tossed to and fro by the waves. And carried about by every wind of, of doctrine. By human cunning and by craftiness and, and deceitful schemes. So clearly this, this is the opposite picture. There's no maturity here. There's childlikeness here. And the church is pictured as, as a child that cannot stand on their own. It doesn't have any strength. That is, that is persuaded and tossed around by, by, by this teaching and by, by that teaching. But also in verse 14 it says, By human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Folks, sometimes people criticize me for mentioning names in the pulpit of false teachers. But look at the Bible here. We are to be aware and we are to beware of humans who are going to deceive us. Humans who are cunning, humans who are, who are clever, who are being used by Satan to deceive us, to destroy us. We need to be careful. It's a horrible thing to say, but unfortunately, there are bad people out there. People who wear a cross. People who wear a collar. Who claim to be servants of God. Who are not teaching biblical sound doctrine. And these are the people we, we don't want to have this unity of faith with. Their doctrine is not biblical, and sometimes it's very subtle. And it's difficult to distinguish. But that's why we need to be equipped. That's why we need to be taught the Word of God. So that we can distinguish. So that we can discern. So that we are not tossed around by every wind of 
doctrine. We need to be aware. We need to have knowledge of doctrine. And that is all good and well. We need to be taught the scriptures. We need to be reading the Bible. We need to be understanding doctrine. But doctrine is not everything, okay? We also need to have the knowledge of Christ. And that's what this verse here is telling us. Look at verse 13. The unity of the faith and, it says in verse 13, knowledge of the Son of God. We need to have two things. Unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We're not just to build our heads up with information about the Bible, learn and memorize as many verses as we can, know where all the books of the Bible are, know about all the minor prophets, all the major prophets. We're not just to fill our heads with information. We're to fill our hearts with the knowledge of Jesus. With the knowledge of Jesus. This is not just an academic ability to recite various doctrines about Christ. And that's important. I'm not saying it's not. It is important. But Paul is also talking about knowing the Son of God in an intimate, personal way. We cannot learn about God if we don't know Him personally. Christianity is not all about knowledge and doctrine. It's about knowing God. Do you know God? The elders of the church want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not simply to know about Him, but to know Him personally and savingly. I know about Queen Elizabeth. I've seen pictures of her. I've read about her. I've seen videos about her. But I don't know her personally. I don't have a relationship with her. Folks, when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with Him. I remember when I first got married, before I got married, I wanted to know about Kerry so that I could marry her. We used to write letters, the olden days, before there was emails. We used to write letters to each other. and We got to know each other. There was telephones with, the, with, the, with those push buttons and, and cords in the olden days. And we used to sit on the phone for hours talking to each other, getting to, to know each other. And the more and more we learned about each other, the more and more we, we got to like each other. God is not boring, folks. He's given us His Word. It's His love letter to us. Not so that we can just get information, but that we can know and learn about His character. So that we can know about the glorious Savior who is good. Remember, we learned that last night. God is good to Israel. He is good to His covenanted people. You don't know that if you don't read the Bible, if you don't learn the Scriptures. And this is all part of helping us ultimately grow, to grow up in Christ-likeness. In Christ-likeness. Look at verse 13 again. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As, as we come to know Christ more deeply, we experience a closer unity in Christ, which is the whole point here that Paul is making for us. So he's not just referring to our individual maturity in Christ, 
but he's also referring to our corporate maturity as a, as a church. And I think for me, one of the biggest challenges here at New Life Church is, is that we have people that we invest ourselves into, we pour ourselves into as teachers and pastors, and they're here for two or three years, and then they end up leaving just after they've become mature. And then we have a new batch of people that, that arrive that we have to start with right at the beginning. And there's this continual challenge that we have. But that's our job nonetheless, to grow the church corporately to become mature. And in our relationship with, with one another and in the way that we, we love one another as we work together in the cause of Christ and, and in our doctrinal maturity, and the world should see this. And the world should notice this. And we should point people to Christ while we are doing this. So the goal is for the body. The goal is for the church to grow in the fullness of Christ. So let me ask you this morning, how are you doing? How are we doing as a, as a church? Do you need to grow in the, the knowledge of our Lord? Do you need to grow in your love for Christ? Do you need to grow in Christian character, in, in maybe patience or, or holiness or truthfulness? But please notice, this is not just individually, but corporately. How are we doing as a church? We all want to be like Christ, right? We all want to be like Jesus at the end of the day, isn't it? We all want to know Jesus. We all want to reflect Jesus to our children. We want to reflect Jesus to our family. We want to reflect Jesus to our neighbors. We want to reflect Jesus to our work colleagues. And this happens as the church grows in unity, grows in the fullness of Christ. But how do we do this? How do we do this? And that leads to my third and my, my final point this morning, the game plan. What is the game plan? We see that in verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Notice there verse 15. We are to speak the truth in love. We're not just to speak the truth. We're not just to love. We are to do both. Speak the truth in love. We need truth and love. That is a game plan. That is a game plan. And doesn't that reflect the character of Jesus, folks? Jesus was full of what? Grace and truth, wasn't he? And that's all that we want to be. That's all that we want to do is to reflect Christ accurately to the world with truth and love. Look at verse 16. It says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Folks, the elders cannot grow a church spiritually on our own. We need the whole body here, as we see in this verse. We can equip you, you know, we can do our part in loving and, and teaching, but ultimately, it's everybody speaking the truth 
to each other in love. It's very clear in the text. The whole congregation, the whole body grows the whole body. Which is why congregationalism works. Which is why congregationalism is, is biblical. If you delegate work to someone, you have, you have to also give them the authority to, to do the work, isn't it? I think of my children often. I asked the one child, I won't mention any names, to please go and wash my car. Well, I asked both children to go and wash the car. And one child will go or in call the other child and um, they will say something like, you need to come and help me wash the car. And the one child will say, I've got something better to do <laughs> or something to that effect. And then the other child uses this authority and they say, Dad said you need to come and help me wash the car. <laughs> Dad said. As soon as that authority is given, everything changes, isn't it? So Jesus has given us responsibility to, to grow the church, but he's also given us the keys. He's also given us the, the authority as well to do this. You don't have the responsibility to grow someone who is not a Christian. We cannot do that. That's impossible. How do you grow them into the fullness of Christ if they, if they do not know Christ? You can't, and that's why the church is given the authority to judge, to, to discern. And we do that through church membership, and we do that um, through church discipline, to discern whether someone truly is a true believer or not. So we have all of this responsibility, and we have all of this authority. And maybe you're feeling a little overwhelmed at the moment. <laughs> maybe you're thinking, Pastor Gareth, I'm just, I'm just holding on by the, the tips of my fingernails here. I'm just rejoicing when I, can, when I can pray a prayer in the morning before I have to rush to work. I'm, I'm rejoicing when, when I can just respond to my husband in a, in a loving way after a, after a difficult day. I'm, I'm just holding on by my fingertips. And now you're talking about all this responsibility and you're talking about all of this authority. I, I don't think I can do it. Well, let me encourage you this morning as we close. Don't feel overwhelmed. This is not all about you. Look at verse 16. What does verse 16 start with? What are the words, the two words that verse 16 starts with? From whom? I love those words. From whom? That's connecting verse 15, isn't it? That is talking about Christ. It's talking about Jesus. It's reminding us that Jesus is the head of the church, not you. All of this growth, all of this change comes through Christ. It's not through you. It's not through your personality. It's not through your ability. It's through Christ. We don't need to do this in our own strength. We don't need to do this in our own wisdom or our ability. Christ is the source of our strength. Christ is the source of our, of our joy. We've been learning that Christ loves His church. And He will care for His church. Just as a, as a head controls the body and directs the members of the body to do this and to do that, 
to drink a glass of water. Christ directs his members to care for one another, to love one another in the church. Just as your, 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 your head does not cut off a, a sore finger, rather it, it looks after it, it takes care of it, so Christ does not cut off a wounded member in the church. He takes care of it. We can be encouraged this morning that we can draw near to Christ. Be encouraged this morning that knowing that He loves His church and that He cares for His church. Jesus is the source of love, not you on a good day. Jesus ultimately grows His church, not us. Jesus gives the gifts. We don't have these abilities outside of Jesus. We are just the conduits. We are the, we are the pipes that the blessings flow through as we partake in this every member ministry of building each other up in love. And be encouraged. Even if you are exhausted, be encouraged. Don't become weary of well-doing. Take small steps towards each other every time you meet, every time we can. Let me encourage you. Phone a member this week. Contact a member. Send a, send a WhatsApp if you're, if you're an introvert. Encourage somebody. Send a verse. Tell them that you've been praying about them. The body takes care of the body. The body grows the body. And watch Jesus as he takes these small amounts of faith and these small acts of faith, and he does great things with them for his glory and for our joy. Please pray with me. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you are building your church. Thank you for the truth that the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And Father, we pray, build New Life Church. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to the words that we have heard this morning. Help us to be obedient, Lord, to the words that we have heard this morning. Help us to be involved. Help us to take our responsibility seriously, Lord. And we pray that our, that our thought lives would grow up into Christ. We pray that our emotional lives would grow up into Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would come under the Lordship of of, of your son Jesus and his word and that we would mature and we will grow up as a church. And we pray that you would make this reality of every member ministry more and more of a reality in New Life Church, that we might become a blessing to one another and that we might be a blessing to other people who don't know Christ. We will be a blessing to our neighbors and that, Lord, we would bear much fruit as faithful witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, please do your work in us. We have a long way to go. We are not perfect. And we need your help. And we are encouraged this morning, Lord, that it is you who builds his church, you who gives the gifts, and you who grow us into each other. Help us just to, to trust you and help us just to obey you, Lord, this week, this month, this year. Grow us, Lord, to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this prayer in His precious name. Amen.